Breakfast today is sponsored in loving memory of Moshe ben Victoria, Abraham ben Adela, Adela ben Bat Estrella, Yehudit Jamile Bat Victoria, sponsored by Alberto Smeki, and also in loving memory of Yishak Smadja Alea Shalom, Alava Shalom Lilui Nishmat Yishak ben Allegra, sponsored by his grandson Chaim Eisenstadt, and as well in loving memory of Ham Shaul Kassin Alava Shalom, Ham Shaul Hamim ben Mazal, sponsored by his son Morris Kassin. Rabotai, good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> we begin this parasha and we hear about this idea that um, the time has come for the Jewish people to be redeemed. And because the time has come for the Jewish people to be redeemed, so uh, now, we go, now we're ready to go out. Now, this is a fascinating idea. The Dubna Magid asks what seems to me to be an excellent question. And it's funny, I've never thought about this question, and it's, uh, it's one of those that after you hear it, you're thinking to yourself how you never thought of it. We mentioned yesterday that we knew that the Jewish people would be um, in Galut for a specified amount of time. Because during the Brit Ben Abitarim, during the covenant with Abraham Avinu, God says to Abraham, your children will become uh, you know, sojourners in a land that doesn't belong to them. And they will cause them to work and they will torture them 400 years. Says Rashi, well, were they actually there for 400 years? No. Where were they for 400 years? 400 years begins from the birth of Yitzchak until the time of redemption. All of that was counted in the Pesukim, okay? How long were they actually in Egypt? We mentioned yesterday for? 210. Asked the Dubna Magid a powerful question. He says, I don't understand. If you could get away with being called if you could get away with saying that being enslaved for 400 years counts Yitzchak Avinu being born, Yaakov Avinu having trouble with his kids, them having to move around from Lavan from here to there, with Esav chasing him with the story of Yosef, all of that counts for part of the slavery. So why didn't God let the story of the Avot, of the Shivatim continue? There'll be a little bit of wedge aras here, a little bit of wedge aras there. A yom asil, a yom basil, a little bit of good days, a little bit of bad days. And that would also count for the 400 years. Why was he able to take 190 and let them be part, you know, a little bit of hassle, and that counts. And then 210 has to be full on, pedal to the metal, bone crushing, you know, slavery and, and tragedy. If you could use some of these years to count, use more of them. Maybe they give us the three years at the end. This was, you know, they say a person has good lawyers, you know, you could get off of it. I, I remember one of my favorite comedians, uh, you know, uh, was, is a guy whose name is uh, Stephen Wright. Very, very caustic, very, very, he's uh, also clean humor and very, very sarcastic. And he says, you know, the other day he says, I shattered a mirror, but my lawyer got me only two years of bad luck. You know, you can imagine, maybe we had a you know, better lawyer, we would have got more years off of the slavery part of the 400 and more years. Is that what's going on here? So the Dubna Magid brings an unbelievable answer to this. But he, to understand it, he gives a mashal. He says, you have a father and a son who are wandering through the most incredible blizzard. There's snow and sleet and it's freezing in the wind and they can't even begin, they can't breathe, it's so cold. Their ears, their nose, their fingers, they're turning blue. Their, you know, their extremities are already shutting off to preserve warmth for the, you know, for the main uh, uh, organs of the body. And as time is going on and they're getting colder and colder, the son just says to his father, he says, I can't anymore. 
I need to lie down. I need to go to sleep. I just want I see this, the park bench over there. I just want to sleep for a few minutes. And then, and, and the father says, you know, sweetheart, if you go to sleep in this blizzard, you know, you're not going to get up. We need to carry on. He says, but I can't, I'm so tired. He says to his son, look, you see over there, I see a light at the edge of the forest. It must be that someone has a house there. Let's push on, push on to the forest. If we get to the light of this house, then maybe we'll be okay. Maybe from there we could get out of the wind, get out of the storm. They get to this house. It's an abandoned house, which has a light that's running on a, on a generator. There's nobody in the house. They walk inside. It's freezing in the house. It's like being in a refrigerator. The son, he sees that there's a little bed there with some straw on the bed. He goes, he runs over to the bed, and he lies down on the bed, and he's shivering, but it's at least not as uh, you know, windy and wet as it was outside. So he pulls his coat up around him, and he's freezing, and he's shaking in the bed like this. The father realizes that even though it's less cold than outside, it's still cold enough for his son to freeze to death. And he says to his son, he goes, you can't sleep here, the kid's already sleeping. He says, son, you got to wake up, you got to wake up. If you go to sleep, you're not getting up. I need to make a fire, give me a few minutes. And the kid is... He's still shaking, but he doesn't want to get up. So the father takes all the straw and he puts it in the, what's it called, in the, uh, in the fireplace. And he wants to use the straw that was on the bed in order to light a fire, but he can't find matches. So he tells his son, don't sit, don't sit on the bed. Don't, you know, don't sit, don't. The kid now, he's lying on the floor and this, the floor is uneven with all the bumps and he's lying on the floor. But even now that there's no straw and there's no mattress and it's very bumpy, you know, while he's, he can see his son's already sleeping. What's he going to do? So he comes to his son, he says, get up, get up, the kid won't wake up. He's yelling and he's screaming and he's making noise and he's cursing at the child, but the child is not waking up. So finally the father is shoving the kid, the kid's leave me alone, he's good. He knows he's got to wake him up, so he slaps him across the face. You have to get up, you got to stay with me. Stay here, slaps him again. The kid's not waking up, he gives him a kick in the ribs until finally, the kid's, what are you doing to me? He goes, why are you hitting me? Why are you kicking me? I'm so tired. All I did closing my eyes. I didn't do anything wrong. The kid starts yelling back at his father. And his father is now, he's calm. He's a little calm because his son is responding. Rabotai, <clears throat> that is the nature of being in Galut. That is the nature of what happened to our avot in the 400 years of slavery that we experienced back then. But also with regards to the experience that we have even today. You know... One of the most challenging things about the uh, about this uh, the being in Galut, about being in Mitzrayim, was where Hakadosh Baruch Hu said to each uh, to each and every one of us, and He promises Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, mitzrayim, and I will take you out from under the bondage of Egypt." The word sivlot is Mitzrayim, but the Mefarshim say that the word sivlot, aside from being sovel, from dealing with the troubles of Egypt, also shares the same root with the word savlanut. The Jews had learned to have patience for the Egyptian slavery. They learned to be able to manage this ball. They were able to deal with that which was going on in Egypt because human beings can become immune to almost anything. So when it was Abraham Avinu, so even just a little bit, if it's cold outside, it was enough for them to be unsettled, for them to be disrupted, for them to realize that they were unlike the other people, that they had a different mission in life, and that they couldn't give up, but they needed to move on. But then they got used to that, so what happened? Then they had to go inside and they needed to take the straw away, they needed to be more uncomfortable. And then eventually comes a time where no matter how uncomfortable it is, you're okay just lying down and sleeping because you're just so tired. You just want to get on with your life. 
Rabotai, that is the nature of galut. It's the nature of the larger galut, but it's also the nature of a personal galut. There's a story they give with an unbelievable rabbi whose name uh, was Reb Nachum from Chernobyl. He went to a certain inn, and in the middle of the night, he's in this little inn, he's, he gets up in the middle of the night, he starts doing tikkun hatzot. What are we doing tikkun chatzot? We cry and we talk about all of this, the troubles that have befallen us since the beginning of time and how much we need a beta mikdash. And he's, he's so emotional in this little room in this inn. He's crying. Who wakes up from the crying? The innkeeper. He comes and knocks on the door. He hears one of his guests, guests is crying. He opens the door. He says, is there must be something I can do. Is everything okay? You know, is this problem with the, with the bed, with the heating, or whatever it is, I'll sort it out. And Rav Nachum looks... Looks up from his book and his candle and he says, no, no, he says, I'm crying over the fact that we're not in Eretz Israel, That we're so far from the Beit HaMikdash. And the, this guy is simple innkeeper. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. He says, I'm crying the fact, you know, a long time ago we had a holy temple. We could achieve through that forgiveness. We could achieve for that all sorts of prayers. Anything that we needed, we could go to the Beit HaMikdash. We could go to the Kohen Gadol. If you had a problem, he would give you the answer from the Choshen HaMishpat. And he's telling him all about the Beit HaMikdash. And the guy's, wow, that's so interesting. I never knew this before. See, the, the Rav Nachum looks at this guy and he says, so tell me. He says, I'm praying so hard that Mashiach will come and take us back to Israel. Are you ready to move? And the guy says, really? To move? Mashiach's going to come take us all back? Ready to move? He says, I don't know if we can move. Let me go ask my wife, he says. Small man. He goes to ask his wife, and his wife says, sends back the answer. The guy comes back a very short time. He says, I went, I woke up my wife. She thought I was crazy. I asked her, want to move to Israel? She said, what are we going to move to Israel for? What's going to be with the farm? What's going to be with the inn? What's going to be with the, the chickens and the goats and the cows and the, on the farm? We can't just get, get up and leave. He goes back to the rabbi. He says, she, says, she said, no. What about the farm and the chickens and the cows? And, the, and Rav Nochem now hears this guy who he's telling all about Mashiach. The guy don't even want to go. He doesn't even want to leave. So he again starts convincing him, starts explaining to him. Listen to this. This for me is the powerful, most powerful line of the whole bit. He says, but don't you realize that when you're sitting in Galut, you're not your own master? And every once in a while, the nation of the city that, that you're living in will turn against you. They take away your money. There's all sorts of anti-Semitism rears its ugly head. You know, they beat up the Jews in the streets. You know, they take away their, their, their liberties. They'll put them in a concentration camp or they'll attack them with swords if they're Kazakhs or, you know, or, or crusaders. You know, don't you know that this happens? And the guy now, he's really confused. He, the rabbi's got a point. Goes back to his wife and he comes back after a few minutes. He says, my wife said, you know, you're right. On the one hand, we've got the farm. On the other hand, we've got the Kazakhs and the Nazis and the Crusaders. He says, but when my wife said, she said, she said if, ask the rabbi if it's okay. Tell him to pray that Mashiach should take the Crusaders to Yerushalayim. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let Mashiach take the Nazis over there. We have, we're wonderful living over here in Berlin. In, uh, you know, in Poland, in wherever they were living. You know, Rabotai, this is a very powerful idea. Because the first thing that a person needs to get themselves out of a national galut, or also a personal galut, the definition of galut is when a person is in a place where they are not supposed to be. Their relationship is in a place where it's not supposed to be. Their spirituality is in a place where it's not supposed to be. They're supposed to be in a better place. This was not supposed to be my life. The first thing that has to happen is that God needs to bless us 
He needs to take away from us the sivlot mitzrayim, the sevlanut, the patience for the situation to remain the same. We need to lose our patience with our situation. And once a person is capable of saying to themselves, wait a second, I'm not comfortable here. I'm not comfortable in this situation. That comfort that you have with a situation, accepting it as it is, it's poison. Because then you'll never change it. So what happens in this kind of denigration from the challenges of Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, all the way to all the terrible things that happened in Egypt and all the terrible things that have happened to us throughout our time amongst the nations of the world is God saying, wake up. If you let down your guard, you're dead. You'll forget who you are. You'll forget your mission. You'll assimilate and you will disappear. This is how it works. So the messages come louder and they come longer and they come more intense. But all we need to do is wake up. And I will take you out from under sivlot, the bondage of Egypt, by removing from you the savlanut, the patience for Egypt. May we all merit to lose patience with our national and personal galuyot and find redemption in every area that we so uh, desire. Baruch Adonai Amen.